0: Welcome everybody to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com and I am joined right now uh, by David Smoke. I call him Smokey and, um, and he is the voice of reason when it comes to the Baylor Bears. You can hear him on Sikkim 365 radio at Sikkim365.com and also catch him on youtube at 365 sports smoky how you doing
1: i'm doing great chip great to hear from you great to have you and glad to be here
0: well i i'm i didn't think we'd be having the conversation we're about to have because when last we saw baylor um you know it was two and seven Mm -hmm. Ava Randa had to you know fight through the whole COVID thing as a first year coach He didn't have the right offensive coordinator, uh, Larry Fedora, who was an analyst at Texas before taking that job at Baylor. And now um, out is Larry Fedora and actually four assistant coaches at Baylor. In comes Jeff Grimes from BYU and Smokey. Now Baylor's offense is leading the Big 12 in rushing with a running back who was playing linebacker last year. I mean, this has to be one of the best stories in the Big 12, this turnaround.
1: Last year, the offense was wretched with all due respect to the young men playing the game. Obviously, Joe Wickline, the offensive line coach in Fedora, it was a mess. Uh, A lot of it, you know, maybe some of it was they didn't have spring drills. Some of it was... COVID-related, they never seem to have the same three, four, five guys on the field at the same time. This has been almost miraculous. I'm not, you know, we've seen coaches turn things around, but what they brought in was the new wide zone blocking scheme that they thought would help with who they had. Eric Mateos is a tag team partner of Grimes at Brigham Young. He's been fantastic. Uh, It has been crazy. They honestly, third down and two, uh, you know, they weren't going to make it. They had to throw it or Charlie had to scramble. Uh, second down and eight, it just was a mess. Uh, You saw it. It was an absolute mess. And what they've been able to do so far uh, against some pretty good teams, you know, Iowa state eventually kind of clamped down on them in the second half and slowed that down a little bit, but it Oklahoma state, we know how good their defense is. It has been amazing. The Abram Smith story in itself Uh, I talked to his old high school football coach at Abilene High has been also part of this as well. He's given them what they needed. Ebner's fantastic, but Abrams, the one cut guy, downhill runner they needed.
0: Yeah, I mean, Abrams Smith, uh, like I said, he was a linebacker last year, started four games, was a good linebacker, averaged 11 and a half tackles per game. So how how did they get him? I know he was a, a, a high quality running back coming out of Abilene. Uh, out of high school, but how did they get him back over to offense? Was that a Jeff Grimes request? How did that go down?
1: I was told two or three different things, but most of it was the same story that they were in a meeting, and they needed a downhill runner. They have Tay Williams, who's very good young, uh, a young running back. Uh, and um but they lost John lovett. he re, he re, last year at the end of the year, he was one of those that that basically just wasn't a part of it. And he went to Penn State. He's not getting much action at Penn State. He would have been perfect for this offense. He was a powerful, physical running back that would have fit in well. So they're sitting there in a meeting. They're kind of discussing who do they have. And then David Wetzel, who's a high school coach who was a part of that Matt Rule staff. We had Wetzel, Sean Bell, and Joey McGuire. And Joey McGuire had faced Abilene when he was the head coach at Cedar Hill. They're like, we have one. He's playing linebacker. And so it all depends on who you talk to. I talked to Juice Johnson one time, the running back's coach, about this. It wasn't easy, wasn't immediate, but we we heard about the fact that they moved him from linebacker to running back. And the reason he started playing a little linebacker last year was because remember, Terrell Bernard went out. And so that gave him opportunities there, and he was good at what he's doing. His high school coach told me, and I, I hope you have time for this. Philip Montgomery was at Tulsa and was recruiting Abram Smith, Philip Montgomery, the former Baylor offensive coordinator. And then all of a sudden he ran like a 21-8, 200, I guess maybe it was his junior or senior year. And Jeff Lebby, who at the time was at Baylor started recruiting him. And of course, Lebby now who's at uh, Ole Miss and, and they kind of got on him. He was committed to, to Tulsa. And then of course that coaching staff in 16, all of them were gone. And, Joey McGuire started to talk to Matt Rule about Abram Smith, and Abram Smith always wanted to play at Baylor. You hear that story, but he apparently did. And so next thing you know, he's part of that early enrollee, Charlie Brewer, Abram Smith, and uh, I just went blank on the third name. They all were a part of that early enrollee class when Matt Rule first arrived, and, and, and look what they've done. They've all uh, – R.J. Sneed, the wide receiver, was the other one, and all of them have given Baylor quite a bit during their time.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable story. So, in terms of that wide zone uh, blocking, how did that uh, serve you know to be advantageous for the offensive line um, as compared to last year?
1: Well, and, and again, I'm not I'm not the X's and O's guys that some people. I'm not going to act like I am. But what happened? They couldn't move Chip anybody. I'm serious. They're they
0: average two yards a carry. So.
1: Yeah, it, they had like seven or 800 yards rushing as a team. Now there's just nine games, but they had that like two or three, four weeks ago. Abram Smith has that by himself, and they just couldn't push anybody. And, the, you know, Connor Galvin's an all state lineman, the left tackle from Katie. Uh, they have guys that have been, some of them, Xavier Newman was a part of that one in 11 team. He was being forced to play as a freshman. Uh, and. They just had no confidence. They didn't have any bulk. I'm not saying they weren't strong or big or athletic. They just couldn't push anybody around. I mean, literally, they could not run the ball. Their best running attack, Charlie Brewer led them in rushing. And last year, of course, he didn't have a very good year, and he was running for his life anyway. So I think what they saw, and I talked to Eric Mateos about this. I think it was back during the spring or soon after. I said, so is this a talent issue? Because you could see they had made progress during the spring. Not all. You could see that there was something at least. There was one time I was in the end zone and they opened up a, a, a huge hole for Abram Smith comes busting right through it. Now, was that because they were scheming against the defense that was letting that happen? I don't know. But I asked him, I said, is this a talent issue? He goes, no, it's not a talent. Now, they don't have a bunch of five stars on the offensive line, but not many people do. He said, this is about. Some of these young men, their clock is ticking on their eligibility, even with all these extra years and COVID and all that stuff. Some of these guys, I think I can get in their head a little bit about, you better produce now. And by shifting with the wide zone, if you aren't maybe the biggest, strongest, not that they've gotten, not, they, they've gotten bigger With Vic Valoria, the strength and conditioning coaches made them bigger and stronger. It allows them to have almost movement without them moving. By using the wide zone. Now, you have to push some people, but you're also letting the physics take over where defensive linemen and linebackers are shifting because they think that's where the flow of the game's going. And next thing you know, boom, there's this open hole that kind of happens just because it's normal. And and that's what they've been able to do with this offensive line and Abram Smith and Trusted Epner's become more physical as well when he runs with the football.
0: Um, obviously, the, uh, the play at quarterback from Jerry Bohannon I mean, 12 touchdown passes, one interception, six touchdowns rushing. The guy's having an all-Big 12-type season. Where where did this come from, and what's been the key to, to his ignition?
1: Well, I, first, you, you can run the ball that protects your quarterback, and it also allows them to have the time to maybe throw some deep passes to Tyquan υ- Thornton or whoever, R.J. Snead. They've got Estrada, who came in, of course, from Dartmouth that gives him kind of a possession receiver um gary is a young man that comes from a tiny little city earl arkansas and he was probably the highest rated quarterback that's ever come to baylor now think about that rj uh, rg3 obviously was fantastic at coppers Cove, but we know that story bryce petty was a pretty highly thought of uh, player had committed to tennessee and then eventually ends up at baylor uh, obviously jared stidham's a highly ranked guy when he came to campus from stephenville but Gary Bohannon was a very highly rated quarterback. He was stuck behind Charlie Brewer. And the only time we ever really saw him, and you thought of him as kind of a, uh, a, a, not a, I don't want to say a miniature version of maybe Tyrone Swoops, you know, kind of more of the Wildcat. And yet again, he didn't do much with that because they couldn't run the ball. And, but he was stuck because Charlie was so good, helped him get through a ball game his sophomore year. We know the story about the Big 12 title game and Sugar Bowl his junior year. And so last year, it was kind of something where Charlie played almost every snap, Chip. I, it was fan base, you know, they were not good. And so it became where he became the polarizing figure, not Lee Fedora, not Joe Wickline. It became him. And it was kind of unfair to Charlie because they couldn't move the ball very well. And and, they, and I asked Aranda many times, why wouldn't you at least give the other guys a few snaps? He felt like it just wasn't the thing to do. He felt like Charlie Brewer was such a leader inside the locker room and the, that, that they didn't want to make that change. Plus, I think he was maybe worried about maybe spooking those guys because they couldn't protect, they couldn't run it. So it's kind of come out of just... The maturation process of being under Grimes during the spring, which they didn't have the year before, it's worked out. He's mobile enough. He's got a heck of an arm. They can throw all the passes you want, and he's having a great year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been phenomenal. And,
1: and, and another thing, you remember the Jacob Zeno part of this. He's the one that came into the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma and made a couple of throws, and everybody all of a sudden went, wow. Well, he didn't play last year either until the very last game when they were getting destroyed, uh, I think, by Oklahoma State. And so everyone thought Zeno was ahead of Bohannon. Bohannon just slowly and methodically became the leader of that team throughout the spring and offseason, and he took the job, and now Jacob Zeno's in the transfer portal.
0: Wow. I mean, it it is a phenomenal uh, turnaround. And you mentioned R.J. Snead, and uh, and we'll throw Tyquan Thornton in there because – I think Texas fans are like, those guys are still there. Um, but they're burners, and they're making plays down the field.
1: Yeah, R.J. RJ Sneed last year uh, was probably their best. I, I I could say this. I don't think – Abner, of course, wasn't because they couldn't run the ball, although on occasion he would do something with special teams. I think R.J. Sneed was probably their best receiver. And what happened from Thornton the year they went to the Big 12 championship game, he was a dynamic-type player. Now, he didn't get a lot of catches, but he you could see it from him. And then last year, just basically rarely ever got on the field. You know, last year for some teams was just a mess. You know, we see even really, really good teams last year. They were a mess. And, and obviously, Baylor was a mess. First-year coach, no spring drills. And not they're not the only one. Even teams that were seasoned struggled in some ways last year. But Tyquan Thornton just like almost disappeared last year. And they got him involved early. And he can be the guy that you can get over the top. And you need that. But you also needed the time to be able to throw the ball over the top. And I'm also, that wasn't Charlie's strength. Charlie's strength was a nickel and dime underneath, almost like the West Coast offense type of stuff. On occasion, he could maybe do that. Gary can flick it. You know, he's got that ability. And Tyquan Thornton does give them a chance to beat you over the top on occasion.
0: Um, we'll take a quick break here with David Smoke of 365 Radio, Sikkim 365 Radio. Uh, You can catch that at sickum 365com And of course, check out the YouTube channel, um, 365 Sports on the YouTube channel. Um, And so we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? You know, 10 returning starters, including Terrell Bernard. Um, You got playmakers all over the place. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian was talking about the 350-pound nose tackle from LSU. Uh, What stands out to you about this Baylor defense?
1: They're very, very experienced, as you mentioned. They have a lot of people back. And Jalen Petrie is a great story who's kind of the hybrid Uh, The star position at linebacker and I might even they have different names every program, but here's a young man I don't know if you remember this story or not, but when Matt rule took over there was one commitment It was Jalen Petrie and Jalen Petrie even through all the dark times of 2016 remained committed to Baylor Matt rule shows up. He was his only commit I mean think about that and then of course he made up for lost ground pretty quickly with that first class of which we're seeing some of that now Jalen Petrie is everywhere. He's quick, he's fast, he picks off passes, he forces fumbles, he gets to the quarterback. He and Terrell Bernard, who had to come back from the shoulder injury a year ago, uh, those are the two guys that make it happen. Siaka Ika, or Ika is how you spell it, his name's Apu, his nickname, the young man who transferred it from LSU, had a slow start to the season. We heard all about what he did on defense and throughout the spring and in August as well, but I don't know if he was quite yet ready as far as maybe in shape i don't and then all of a sudden he batted a pass down in the win against iowa state and then he started to become more and more disruptive he is a man child inside and um had to grow up a little bit you know and he gives you know he he's what you want he's the guy that takes up a lot of the blockers and i think he's gotten better and better and better and in the last two three four games he's become a force and, and then on top of that, they have a lot of guys that have been around uh, that have, you know, uh, uh, oh, I just Matt Cole Maxwell. Here's an, he's from Allen High School. Well, we know all about how good Allen is and how deep they are in 6,000 students in their football program. He really just never did anything. He was always not available or he wasn't around. And he's made some plays and other guys are making some plays. They got a lot of depth. They really, really do. And, and on top of that, they've got Dylan Doyle transferred in from Iowa. He's making plays. Heck, he's kind of like a, a, a one-platoon player. He's playing fullback and linebacker, catching passes. He had a touchdown run. I mean, the fullback has scored at Baylor like twice this year. I had to go back and look up what that position meant, you know, I mean, because we don't see it very much. I love the fullback and tight end and all that. And that's because I'm, you know, old school. But they, they've got a JT Woods at a defensive back making plays. They got a lot of speed, Chip. Now, I know UT's got unbelievable athletes as well. But this is a team with a lot of speed on defense. And they'll need it because we know what UT brings to the table with Bijan and Xavier Worthy and all that. But they are really, really good. Now, there have been a couple of times – where you know they, they haven't been uh, they've had a couple of the, some personal fouls which is kind of one of those you like that edge and then again it's cost them it, it may have cost them a possibility of beating Oklahoma State uh, in Stillwater because of a late game personal foul but they are they're pretty good now they're not they're not 2019 good. their defensive line is good, but they don't have James Lynch uh, and the guys that they had on that uh, Bravy Roy. those guys are in the NFL. But they're, they're pretty good. They're just not quite as good up front. But that team in 2019, we, we know how good that was defensively up front.
0: Yeah, Texas, one of the best uh, pass efficiency offenses. Baylor, the best pass efficiency defense in the Big 12. So that, that's going to be a marquee matchup. And that you'd say the strength of the Baylor defense is the back seven.
1: Yeah, but against Brigham Young, they gave up two, three, four deep throws. You know, I mean, they've got speed, they've got experience, um, they got some mismatches that hurt them because of size. Uh, the uh, Nakua, I think it is from Brigham Young, hurt him a couple of times deep, and 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 again, you have to decide. You know, you wish you had a defense like they had in 19 or some teams have had where you could stop the run and you didn't have to worry about whether or not you loaded up the secondary. You could do both. I mean, that's the perfect scenario, and not many people can do that anymore. That's where their experience is. But I think this front seven now is starting to get better and better, and you know. Um, Algier, the, the running back from Brigham Young, was averaging, I think, 120 or so yards a game. He had 30-something yards. The next week they played, or next time Brigham Young played, he had like 190. So there's something to say there. Now, Warren, who you guys know as a tough, wiry, strong, just battering ramp for Oklahoma State, he got him a little bit. But other than that, they, they, and Brees Hall, who's also an NFL caliber running back. He got him as well. But other than that, I think that they've been able to stop the run well enough, which we know what Texas does with Bijan and Roshan and all those guys. But the strength is supposed to be the secondary, but I'm starting to think maybe it is the front seven a little bit. And, and of course that, that would be great for Ron Roberts, the defensive coordinator, Joey McGuire, the assistant head coach, linebackers coach, and, and obviously for Dave Aranda as well.
0: Um, Smokey, let's get into the the. I mean, obviously Baylor's win over Iowa State caught everyone's attention. Baylor rolled Kansas forty-five to seven, um, but then they beat Iowa State thirty-one to twenty-nine. How'd they do it?
1: They jumped on them early, and I think stunned. I think that Iowa State, which we know they're good, and and they and they they're not done after what they did, of course, with that back-and-forth slugfest against Oklahoma State. They jumped on them early. It, I mean when 2000 I, I allude a lot to 2019 i'm not trying to compare them but 2019 they jumped on Iowa state i think they were up like 20 to nothing at halftime that's the same year they had oklahoma down like 30 to 10 at halftime and they couldn't they couldn't hang on very similar iowa state started to clamp things down in the second half purdy can you know he's a streaky guy and he started getting a little bit hot but i think that they jumped on him early enough and then they made a couple, they had to knock down a two-point conversion at the end of the game, recovered two onside kicks at the end of the game. They had a lot of bad penalties at the end of the game that maybe they learned something there. But I think they came in, Iowa State's kind of one of the favorites along with Oklahoma. And I think they punched him in the mouth and it took Iowa State a little bit of time before they realized, oh my gosh, we're letting this one slip away. Very similar 2019 Iowa state was supposed to be one of the contenders and Baylor came out of nowhere. And I think it was a similar scenario than what we saw two years ago.
0: And then, um, they lose at Oklahoma state, despite getting three interceptions against Spencer Sanders. How did that one get away?
1: They could not run the ball. They had the one run. Abram Smith had the 54-yarder on a fourth and one, and you know what happens there. everybody got all 22 people, 22 human beings, like at each other at the line of scrimmage. And Abram, he got, a, he got a crease, and boom, that put him back in the game. Uh, Oklahoma State beat them up in the first half. I mean, beat them up. It wasn't like Warren had a lot of long runs. It wasn't Sanders. You know Sanders. He, he can be your best friend, and also he can get hot. And, and, and we know what he can do there. Um, I think Oklahoma State, that and, and Baylor, there was frustration because they had beaten Iowa State. Oklahoma State, that they was a better football team, and we know they're good. Uh, they, they're, you know, they, they're one of those, you got to almost cut their head off to beat them. And, and, and Texas had to learn that lesson, unfortunately, for UT a couple of weeks ago. It looked like the game was about to be over 17 3, pick six, and here they come. They just hang around. And except against Baylor, they jumped on Baylor baylor could not move the football defense was okay then they kind of got back in the game and by that time they had a couple of things go against them at the end of the game it was too late oklahoma state that day was better
0: and then they smashed west virginia yeah 45 to 20 in waco how did that one play out
1: just better i'm across the board uh you know Ebner. uh Bohannon was absolutely fantastic in that game, and they ran the ball down West Virginia's throat. They were better, and, and you know West Virginia a couple of times when they had the Sills brothers, and they still have one on the defensive line. They 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 had given Baylor trouble. I mean, even the year that they were good two years ago, West Virginia always seemed to give them some trouble. Uh, I they were just they were as it was surprising. I know West Virginia has been hit and miss, and, and they really. You know, that win against TCU this past weekend may have, like, given them a chance. But uh, they were – they just – I was like, it's one thing to win a game against Iowa State. It's also you go up to Stillwater, play well. Uh, don't don't – I want to give Oklahoma State credit. They were better. But, you know, you're in that game. And then you come back against a team that you should beat, and then you do beat them. And, and you, you dominate them. That game was never close. I think West Virginia may have scored early, but after that, it was over. Uh, they were just better. It really was very impressive what they did against West Virginia.
0: Yeah, and then they, they, they dominated BYU.
1: Yeah, and, 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 you know, Brigham Young, they're, they're always good. You know, I mean, th- sometimes they're not quite as good or sometimes they're really good. Last year, they were fantastic, and, um, you know, th- they're experienced. Now, they lost their quarterback, who's now in the NFL – and they lost their offensive coordinator, who's now at Baylor, and also their coach in Eric Mateos on the offensive line. And I think that gave Baylor an advantage because they kind of knew. Uh, Brigham Young's lost a few people, but we also know how much experience they have. And sometimes they have those fifth- or sixth-year seniors. But Baylor's got a few of those this year, too. Uh, that, was, that was a game where Baylor was in control at halftime. Brigham Young hit a long run early in that game. And you're like, okay, this is going to end up being like the last – series or two of the game but then Baylor just kept separating and that was a I was impressed with that that's a late non-conference game that you don't normally see in the in the Big 12 I, you know you follow up beating West Virginia the way you did who, who's struggling and then you turn around and take on here comes a top what was Brigham Young I think they had lost to Boise State so they had dropped out of the yeah, top 10 one. yeah they had lost the game to Boise State fumbled it three times didn't play well I thought that was impressive the way they handled that game, especially going into a buy to give them some some momentum. Get the decompression time. Get healthy with a couple of guys, although they're pretty healthy, and now move into the a tough stretch with your schedule.
0: Um, Smokey, you've seen Texas. Uh, they've had double digit leads against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and lost both of those games, and now they're you know trying to get their psyche correct, uh, according to Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah. Um, when you look at this matchup, is there an area uh, or a matchup where you feel like one team has the clear advantage over the other?
1: Texas. I, I can't even imagine what their fans have dealt with because if it looked like they were sending a statement, not just beating Oklahoma, but the way that thing was going down. I'm watching the game while I'm covering the game. And I'm like, and all of a sudden, you know, you see Lincoln Riley chipping away with field goals when some coaches would have panicked and gone for it many times on fourth down. And, and I, I just – I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened, excuse my language, because that just was crazy. 17-3, to 3, they have the ball, driving to take a lead 24-3, games over with Oklahoma State, and then you have the pick six. And I see, I heard what Coach Sarkeesian said. I like him. I, I like him. I had a chance to interview him. We did on on uh, at Big 12 Media Days. I like him a lot. And, um, yeah, that psyche. Like, what's the difference between what you did on – the same player same formation or same scheme in the first quarter compared to the fourth quarter there's nothing except they i don't know they're dangerous they're explosive we know that uh they have the great running back in Bijan Robinson they Worthy was fantastic against Oklahoma i mean you know so was Bijan um it's up this can texas stop what Baylor wants to do in the running game because if they don't, it's going to be a tough day. Because if they don't, then you have Bohannon can do whatever he does with the Waggles and, and himself and, and can maybe throw it over the top a couple of different times. That's what I think it comes down to. And Texas, at times, as you know, has struggled stopping the run. Well, yeah, Kennedy Brooks wore them out. Just flat. And I know Williams had the long run, too, for Oklahoma. If Baylor can run the football, I think they're going to be tough for a lot of people. And, and But it, it, we could always look at the intangibles like turnovers, and that changes everything. We know that. Both teams have absolutely dynamic return game. Both of them, right? Uh, I mean, oh, my goodness. So, so we might see one of those things happen. And uh, I, I don't know, but that that could come into play. Both of them can blow it open with a long kick return or a punt return. Both of them have fantastic kickoff and punt returners. But I just think if Baylor can run the ball, they kept Brigham Young down with the run defense. I, I don't know. You keep Bijan down. I don't think anybody does that unless you don't give him the ball, which has also been kind of that get away from him a little bit in the second half. Uh, I I just think that Baylor and their running game against Texas, a defense that has struggled. I don't know all the stats. I'm not a stats guy, but I think that's been that probably sets up what happens on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been tough. For the Texas defense to stop the run late. Um, they really kind of contained Oklahoma State for three quarters and then give up 21 rushes for 145 yeah. yards in the fourth quarter and that um, that the dam broke and and yeah. similar against o- Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those where you you would think you learn from what happened in the second half against OU and then you let it happen again. That had to be disheartening uh, for the coaching staff and the fan base and the players too. Um You know, there's this, by the way, this is a note. They've played like a hundred. This is like the 111th meeting. This could be the last time Texas ever plays in Waco again. Yeah. Because we don't know the future. You know, there's always that thought that maybe by the summer of 2023 that, you know, everyone kind of goes their own way. There's a game next week or next year. I guess it should be a tech or in Austin, but you know, I, it's a long rivalry and and it's, it's uh the last time Texas played in Waco, Waco beat them up. I mean Baylor beat them up. I mean they turned them around like a pretzel and beat them up. Twenty-four to ten was not indicative of how no. dominant they were. They had the long run at the end of the, I think of the half that maybe gave up a, a field goal with Dicker, and then they scored at the end of the game, which was like trash time. But you know again they're trying to get something. They beat them up. That was a twenty-four to ten that could have been thirty-seven to three. So. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't think you could do that with UT's offense. I don't think you can. anyone can like just keep them down. But uh, it's is interesting. It's kind of surreal because of all the changes we see on the horizon in college football.
0: No, it really is. I think it's a fascinating matchup, and I think Baylor is a fascinating story because it sure looked like Dave Aranda, you know, obviously made the wrong hire on the offensive coordinator. And for yep. a defensive-minded head coach, you're going to be made or broken – on your offensive coordinator hire, but then gets it right on the mulligan. And, and now, I mean, you tell me how are Baylor fans, how were they last year and how are they this year?
1: Well, last year it was a, it was a dumpster fire. I've mentioned the running game. There was none. I've mentioned they couldn't protect Charlie. Charlie also didn't have the, the, the best year either. And probably I, I don't want to make light of this probably had some sort of like you know, hearing things and seeing things because of how much of a, a beating. And even as it took us a 1-11 and, and we know he's taken a beating over his career. Um, Baylor fans, you know, if you really look back at this program, and I know Baylor had their stretch where they were just awful, but since 2010, they've been to the bowl game every year, but 1-11 and 2-7. and 1-11 and was after the Art Briles era ended officially. And all sorts of things swirling, and then two and seven, new coach, no spring drills, and COVID. It's a pretty resilient football program. I mean, they've won a lot in the last 12 years. They've beaten Texas a lot, and there's a couple of times when they probably could have gotten another one or two, you know, that got away from them. And uh, I always remember, and Chip, I'm just reminiscing, I was thinking about this the other day, when Charlie uh, Strong, of course, they were. he was struggling, and Texas came in and Baylor had that 2016 team that was really good. No, no, this was uh, 15. And Texas came in there and beat them. Baylor was down to their third or fourth being quarterback, and they had to start just running Johnny Jeffrey. Lynx Hawthorne was playing quarterback. Remember that game? Yep. And Texas came in there and jumped on them early. And I think Buschel had a pretty good game, if I remember. Had a couple of turnovers, and, and, uh, and then – that was the team that started running the ball from basically Johnny Jefferson. They eventually ran for 500 yards against North Carolina in the bowl game. They were making things up in the field turf, you know, like, Oh my God. And so this game, you never know. I mean, I'm not trying to compare it to Texas and Oklahoma, but we've seen, we've seen some weird things happen. And and, and I don't know what happened Saturday, but, I, the, the fact that – and I know that Floyd Casey used to always be basically empty and Mac Brown once said, we love playing Baylor in Waco because it gives fans that don't get to watch us at DKR a chance to watch the game. And that was always a stinging comment. And it's interesting because his last game he ever coached was a loss at Floyd Casey when they turned out the lights and won their first ever Big 12 title. So there's there's a lot of passion. The fans at Baylor – Love what they see with this offense because last year was just. You say it can't get worse. It could not get worse than what it was a year ago. So the offense is night and day difference of what they were.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal story, and Saturday will be uh, a really interesting chapter because Texas is trying to trying to, you know, for a team that got up by double digits on the two front runners in the league. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're having to you know, pick up the pieces, which is crazy. You know, you almost think if they were back and forth games and Texas never got those big leads, they wouldn't be talking about trying to fix their psyche and how do they finish games and, uh uh-oh, here we go again. Instead, here we are, you know, there's some psychotherapy going on with the Longhorns. We'll see how Steve Sarkeesian gets them them ready for 11 a.m. on Saturday uh, at McLean Stadium. Yeah,
1: and that's what leads to the hype. I mean, we know that Texas has hype. We know that they're a logo. We understand all of that. But sometimes because of what you saw in that first two and a half quarters against Oklahoma, is that who they are? Or are they more like the last quarter and a half? Or are they more like who they were in the fourth? Oklahoma State in Austin goes down there and, and beat them up in the second half after being down but could have been 21 so I don't know who they are. They're schizophrenic, bipolar, whatever the words you want to use. And it just depends on who you get and how long you get it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I know if they start poorly on Saturday, that, that, obviously they have started fast. They usually, they usually start fast. Now, Baylor's had a couple of games when they've started slowly. Oklahoma State was one. But uh, that's what I think is also who's going to dictate the tempo Who's going to make this thing into a track meet or not? Baylor could get up and down the field. They can score points. We know that. But I think what they'd rather have a game in which they control the tempo uh, and and sometimes if Texas can jump on you with a couple of quick scores, who knows what happens.
0: Well, David Smoke, we, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us here on the flagship podcast previewing Baylor.
1: Anytime, anytime,
0: anytime and for david smoke i am chip brown of horns 24 7. thanks so much for listening to the flagship podcast until next time stay safe and keep the faith